there was this big thing that happened last week. Uh, I don't know if you guys, um, maybe some of you guys heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's called Super Bowl. Anyone? Yeah? Anyone heard that? How many, um, I don't think anyone was crying for the Patriots after that loss. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're a Patriots fan. Maybe you're Eagles. Um, but I was thinking, um, as I read the passage for this week, thinking about this idea of what if you were playing in the Super Bowl? Like you were on um, a, a team and you had trained. I mean, football was your life and you had trained so much. And then your coaches um, had just uh, poured into you and made you run routes and made you practice blocks and made you practice all these plays. And, um, you know, they call the plays during the game and all that stuff. But then just a few days before the Super Bowl and you're about to perform and the whole coaching staff says, guys, you're going to have to do this on your own because we can't be there. And um, I know there's limits to this metaphor, but for some reason, we can't be there. <laughs> you're going to have to play. You're going to have to call your own plays. You're going to have to run your own defense. You're going to have to run your own offensive plays. You're going to have to call your own timeouts. You're going to have to do all of it. And I can imagine that even though you know, some of you may say, well, that'd be totally fine. We don't need the coaches, right? Just kind of have that confidence, oh, we can do this on our own. But I think if we're honest, we might, in that situation, we might be a little bit thrown. Like, hey, you were leading us to this. Like, you're the one that helped us even get here. What are we going to do without you if you're not here with us, coach? And um, I, when we're reading John 16, as, as um, John read... Um, we're seeing Jesus speaking to his closest disciples. He, he, they're at a meal. Um, he started out speaking with 12, and now there's 11, because Judas left in the middle of it, and he's gone out. He's on the way to betray Jesus, but he's still speaking to the 11. And, and these, are, these are people who have walked with Jesus the whole time that he's been in ministry. They were there when he was baptized in the Jordan River, some of them were there when, they, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw his glory. They saw the miracles he did. They heard the teachings he did. And now he's sitting with them and saying, this is going to be my last meal with you. You know that kingdom thing I've been talking about? You're going to live in the kingdom of God, but I'm not going to be here with you physically. You know, the persecution that I've faced and the opposition that people have shown me, they're going to show that to you too, and I'm not going to be next to you. But you're going to be able to do it. Are you feeling that a little bit, how that might have felt for them? But then when Jesus wraps it all up, we've got basically four chapters of this discourse and instructions that he's giving them. This is how you're going to live. This is how the Spirit's going to help you. This is how you're going to deal with persecution. This is how you're going to enjoy God's love. And he wraps it up with that verse. Verse 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you might have trouble. Wait, sorry, I think I misread that. Yeah. In this world, you will in this world, you will, not might, not maybe, not if you have trouble, but when you have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. You see, I love that the Christian faith that we profess doesn't downplay or ignore the suffering that we will inevitably face in this life. The world's version of peace often claims that we can only really have peace when there's the absence of suffering or by avoiding tough situations. But Jesus says you will definitely have trouble in the world, but you will only find peace in Christ. And so he says, take heart. Another translation says, be of good cheer or cheer up or never lose heart. Or be encouraged. Or be courageous. So the question then is, how can we have trouble without being troubled? How can we have this inner peace that is with us no matter what we face, the challenges of the day or the challenges of the week as you think back on this week that you've just gone through? How can we be known as people of peace? Because sometimes we get it backwards. I don't know about you, if, um, but sometimes I expect to find peace in the world, in the situations around me, and to call on Jesus when I'm troubled, right? So I'm expecting this to be all good, and then if I need him, I'll call on him. But this verse tells me, it helps me deal with this current day um, reality of where are our expectations and where is our hope? What are your expectations of everyday life, and where is your hope? For everyday life. So instead of looking for peace in the world and then looking to Jesus when we're troubled, we should expect trouble in the world but receive peace in Jesus. So, how do we have that peace? How do we take heart? I'm so glad you asked because that's what this passage is about. That's what I'm going to preach about. Reasons to take heart. If you're with me, I want to I go over a few reasons that we get from this passage to take heart. The first reason we can take heart, how we can go through trouble without being troubled people, is because you are a child of the Father. Because you are a child of the Father. You see, Jesus in these verses, he's introducing a new relationship to his disciples that they had not yet experienced yet. I want to reread a few of those verses, starting at verse 23. He says, In that day you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I... No longer will use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus is saying, in this time that's coming you're going to be able to ask the Father directly in my name. I'm no longer going to be asking on your behalf because you can directly go to the Father. 
You have direct access to the Father because you are a child of the Father. We could do a whole sermon about asking in the Father's name, and I'm not going to do a whole sermon about that, but I will simply say it's not a magic wand that you just slap on the end of your prayer. <laughs> Let's not say, you know, I mean, if it was that, then no one told Jesus, you know, under promise, over deliver, because I just want to ask for like two Ferraris and some oceanfront property in Jesus' name. Boom. Anything you ask in my name. So, as a good friend of mine said, it goes without saying, so that's why we need to say it. But uh, that's another sermon. What does it mean to ask in the name? But one way we can say it is it gives us direct access to the Father to pray in the authority of, under the authority of Jesus. You have this access because if you have received Jesus, you are a child of God. And being a child of God is really what it's all about. Actually, from the beginning of this book, John chapter 1, the 10th verse, and I think we have it here, fingers crossed. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Is it there? Okay, because I can turn to it. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, talking of Jesus, it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Sorry, I read verse 11. <laughs> verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Do you guys see that? That Jesus was here before the world was created, yet when he came to the world, the world didn't recognize him. Next verse. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Do you believe, if you're here today and your faith is in Christ, do you really believe that you're a child of God? Has your heart made much of that? I told someone this morning, I know I'm going to preach on the love of the Father, and I feel a little bit of heaviness because I feel like the bulk of our enemy's lies have to do with this subject. Because if he can get you to not love that you're a child loved by God, then he's got you. J.I. Packer says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being a child, God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Jesus came to earth out of love. Not just to be a king with servants in his kingdom. Not just to reconnect creatures with the creator. But to bring back children to the father. And that makes all the difference. 
Because the love of God is not just theoretical or abstract. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the... Right, in John 16.27, the Father himself loves you. It's personal. And it always has been. At the heart of the universe is not just this concept of a God who might be loving... It's not just an idea. It's not just a blob or divine logic that makes it all make sense. At the heart of the universe is a father eternally loving a son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive Jesus, when you believe he is who he says he is, when you love Jesus, you become a child of God and you're invited into that love that he has shared in eternity past. John 15, we preached a few weeks ago, 15 verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. But now he says, no, the Father himself loves you. And what that means is, no matter what you face, no matter what you may be facing today, if it's loneliness, if you feel aimless, if you're going through something and you think it's purposeless, if you feel like you have to prove yourself to others in order to have value, if you're having trouble being loved, if you feel like you have to make your own identity through your work or through your successes or through your relationships, you can take heart because you are a child of God. You have direct access to God through Jesus. You're invited into love, not just any love, but the love on which the whole universe was built and revolves. That the ultimate reality at the bottom of all the universe is a father who calls you child, who calls you daughter, who calls you son. That's why 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There's an exclamation point there. It's like even as he's writing, even as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write this, he's surprised. <laughs> that God has lavished that word lavished is just, just imagine if there's, if there's a cup here and God's pouring his love and he just pours it and then it kind of fills up and then he just keeps pouring it, keeps pouring it, keeps pouring it, it's overflowing. It's over. That's the picture of God's lavish love for us. And the Bible says that is what we are. Not that's what we'll be 15 years from now in a perfect future version of ourselves. Not that's what we'll be once we get our act together and we get cleaned up and get good enough for God to actually claim us. No, that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Did not know Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Do you believe who he is? If so, do you Believe and accept that you have been made a child of God. 
Is that a reality to you? Do you think about how much the Father loves you directly and lavishly? Because without this, it makes sense. It makes sense to feel lost. It makes sense that when you face trouble to just be totally in despair. If you don't know this. Without this, we're just, you know, it's okay to think of us as just floating through space. We're on a rock that's covered in water and there's just these senseless atoms and molecules that combined. And it's just a divine accident of chemistry that we're all here. Without this, it's okay to say, what's the purpose? But if you receive Jesus, you know that you're not an accident. But you're the apple of God's eye. You're his beloved child. And nobody and nothing can ever take that love away. Amen. That's all right. I don't know if you guys know it, but I like having an amen corner. So if you just feel the unction... If you feel that amen creeping up, amen. it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. All right. Before I move to the next reason why we can take heart, I want to read a quote um, from an author named Michael Reeves. I talked to a couple people who have read this book called Delighting in the Trinity. It's a long quote, but I, I believe it's worth it. So it'll be up on the screen, too. It says this, knowing God as Father not only wonderfully gladdens our view of Him, it gives the deepest comfort and joy. The honor of it is stupefying. So he's from the UK, so he uses cool words like that, stupefying. <laughs> to be the child of some rich king would be nice, but to be the beloved of the emperor of the universe is beyond words. Clearly, the salvation of this God is better even than forgiveness. And certainly more secure. Other gods might offer forgiveness, but this God welcomes and embraces us as his children. Never to send us away. For children do not get disowned for being naughty. I'm thankful for that. He does not offer some kind of he loves me, he loves me not relationship. Whereby I have to try and keep myself in his favor by behaving impeccably. We can with security enjoy his love forever. Whatever you're facing right now, whether maybe you're lonely, maybe you're distant from God, it feels like you're distant. Might I suggest to you that you can take heart, that if you have believed who Jesus is, and if you have loved him in response to his love for you, maybe I can remind you of this truth even though you don't feel it. You are a child of God, a much-loved daughter or son of the Father. You can take heart because you're a child of the Father. Secondly, you can take heart because of where Jesus is. Everyone say, where is Jesus? It's like a, that sounds like a new children's book, right? Where's Waldo? Where's Jesus? I don't know where that came from. Did not come from my notes. Um, but have you ever thought about that? Where is Jesus? Good. Yes. Here's the thing. Jesus is, Jesus was 
truly God and truly man. He's human like us, but he's not exactly like us. He died, but he's not in the grave. Can I get an amen? Amen. And Jesus hints at that even before he died in this passage today. John 16, verse 28, kind of summarizes the whole movement of the gospel story. Verse 28, I came from the Father and entered the world. And now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus is not just an ordinary man. He existed before all of creation. He entered into the world showing great humility that though he was equal with God, he set aside that to take on the nature of a servant, Philippians 2, and to serve even unto death. And he will exist after. He is the son of God and he came on the mission of God. We can take heart because of where Jesus is. You know, if you're reading through this this gospel of John, there's something that you'll see. If you're just sitting down and reading through a few chapters at a time, you'll see that over and over Jesus says, he's faced with a situation and he says, my time has not yet come. Right. So first time he says it, he's he's at the, uh, the wedding where uh, Mary, his mother, wants him to take care of their situation where they ran out of wine. You guys remember that? And he says to her, my time has not yet come. And then in chapter 7, it happens again where his brothers say, his brothers who don't believe in him at the time say, hey, you need to go to that festival, and if you really want to get a following, you need to go to the festival. That's where the people are. Come on. And he says, and that's the paraphrased version. Um, He says, my time has not yet come. He says it several times. But then there's this turn when you get to chapter 12. And the first time you hear it come out of Jesus' mouth, he says this in John 12, 23. Jesus, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Stop. This sounds great. <laughs> Son of Man is going to be glorified. This is the party we've been waiting on, right? Here's how the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Next verse. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. Jesus came to die, and he said that this is the way I'm going to be glorified, and this is the hour that's finally came, that has finally come. He came to die, but why did he come to die? Because for us, death feels a lot like loss. But for Christ, it's victory. In John 10, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Hear that part. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and to take it up again. This command I received from God. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Jesus was not surprised by the cross. In fact, he told his disciples about it several times, and they, they, they couldn't get it. They didn't understand it. But he was not surprised. And the cross was actually just on his way. The cross was a victory stop on the way back to the Father. You guys are still looking at me like, bring it in, Kenny. 
What do you mean? Here's what I mean. Jesus didn't come just to show us God's love and invite us into God's love. He came to win a war on evil. A war that rages around us, but also within us. Within every human heart throughout all time since the fall of humanity. And when Jesus went to the cross, the reason it was the hour of his glory is because what looked like defeat to him was actually him defeating the enemy, our enemy, our sin, our death, and taking it on himself on his way back to the Father. Not on his way down, on his way eventually back up. You see, in our world, power is shown by the ability to kill. If I can kill you, but some of you I could and some I couldn't, I don't know. Uh, sorry. I'm just, I'm just getting real basic level, all right? So this isn't polite society. But if I can kill you, I have power over you. Or if I, at least I have the threat of that, then I have power over you. If my nukes are bigger than your nukes, then I have power over you, right? That's the way our world works. But Jesus showed his power by his willingness to die, to be killed as a sacrifice for our sin. In a world where death reigns, Jesus died in order to defeat death. That's a picture of why we can take heart, because darkness, can you imagine when Jesus Breathed his last and then died and then was buried later that night. Can you imagine? I'm just, I'm going off script. But can you imagine the party that was going on in hell? Can you imagine them thinking, this is it? We got him. He's dead. It's over. How much more wrong? <laughs> could our enemy have been? That's why I love this song. And some of you guys are going to know this song. It's on Trevor Davis's latest album. I have the lyrics up here. And it just has this juxtaposition. But it says, when the whip became... Actually, when he said, when the whip... All right, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. When the whip became a blessing and the thorns begot the crown. When the innocent confessing brought the separation down, the separation between God and man. Oh, how evil must have felt when the lion led himself to be our lamb. Death appeared to have won. Darkness thought it could snuff out the light, but that's not the way light works. Back to the first chapter of this book, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, in him was life, that's Jesus, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And now it's six, chapter 16, 33, it's coming full circle. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Amen. Jesus is the light that the darkness can never overcome. Jesus is the light shining in darkness. And just like a light that's turned on in any San Diego school building, the cockroaches just scatter. When the light comes on, 
Because there's nowhere to hide. That example is a little too real for some of y'all here that have been meeting in schools for a while. As dark and evil as the world is, all the, listen to me, all the trouble and the suffering and affliction that you will face. If you are lied on, cheated, talked about, or mistreated, it's not a maybe or a coin toss as to whether or not God will win in the end. It's not still up in the air. It's not still being decided by a panel of judges somewhere. Is God going to be victorious? No. Jesus is not in the grave. The tomb is empty. He's with the Father. He has overcome the world. He is ruling and he is reigning. And yes, we still struggle in this life. And yes, we're still waiting for the kingdom to come in fullness. And we still have trouble. But the biggest battle over sin and death has already been waged and won. Do you believe that today? It's a quote from D.A. Carson. It says this, By his death he has made the world's opposition pointless and beggarly. The decisive battle has been waged and won. The world continues its wretched attacks, but those who are in Christ share the victory he has won. They cannot be harmed by the world's evil, and they know who triumphs in the end. From this they take heart and begin to share his peace. Whatever you're facing right now, you can take heart because the tomb is empty and Jesus is with the Father. This is why our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church today around the world can rejoice and remain faithful when they face trouble, even more intense than some of us are facing. Why? Because Jesus is victorious. This is why as a child of God, loved directly by the Father, you are unstoppable. Nothing can stop you. Do you believe that? All that that our spiritual enemy may scheme against you, all the suffering that this world may have already thrown at you or is waiting in store for you, none of that can stop you if you are a child of God. Hmm. Some of y'all are feeling it, but others of y'all, it's going to come in slowly. (laughs) We can take heart because Jesus is with the Father. And we can take heart. You can take heart because you believe. In verse 27, Jesus said, uh, No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. See, the Christian faith, all of, all of these benefits, all of this reality that we're describing about knowing ourselves as children of the Father, it's not something that we earned. It's not a, a kind of nirvana that we achieved by our own self-discipline and our own letting go. No, it's a, it's a gift of faith. We haven't earned the right to be sons and daughters. We definitely haven't defeated sin on our own strength. 
This new relationship that Jesus gives us, it's not merit-based, it's, it's grace-based. Ephesians 2, 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can take heart because of who you believe in. It's not the measure of your faith, but it's the object of your faith that determines the strength of your faith. If your faith's in yourself, prepare to be let down. (laughs) But if your faith is in Jesus and his work for you, prepare to be transformed increasingly from glory to glory. All of this is available to us just as we read from John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to them gave he the right to become children of God. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, but what about where the rubber meets the road, Kenny? I do believe. I do believe this. I don't disagree with what you've said so far. I do believe this, but why don't I have that peace? Maybe you are here today and you you do feel at peace, but maybe you're here today and you're going through something. Or maybe as you thought back on your week earlier, you're like, man, I really didn't feel the peace there. (laughs) I know that. Sometimes it feels like when you're going through a situation or there's a certain aspect of your life that's so overwhelming that it seems like the gospel as good as it is, doesn't connect right there at that point. Does anyone know what I mean? And Jesus' conversation with his disciples during this passage, I think, can shed some light on that. So he says, he said all this, he said, the Father himself loves you. I came from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. And then there's this break at verse 29 where his disciples respond. And they said, um, the disciples uh, said, now... Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need us to ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So basically the disciples are saying, we get it. (laughs) This makes sense. That's great. We don't even have to ask any more questions. This is cool. Yeah, we believe. Yeah. And then how does Jesus respond? Well, that's great. All right, on to the next thing. <laughs> now he says, he says, do you now believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. What we see the disciples do there is they thought that they totally understood it. Oh, we get it. We get it. We, we finally get it. Thanks for explaining it, Jesus. But they didn't even know he had to be crucified. And they didn't even know what it meant. And they didn't even know that he was going to rise again on the third day. And he says, oh, you think you believe? Well, you're about to all leave me alone. We see the same thing a few chapters earlier where Peter says, Lord, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, hold up. (laughs) You're going to deny me three times tonight. 
Sometimes we are overconfident in our faith. Sometimes we think we believe more than we really believe. We can know it, but it's not here where the rubber meets the road. And sometimes we don't realize how much we need the Lord now. Do you now believe? And you see, it's easy to look at the disciples and think, well, how foolish. (laughs) They thought they got it. But I would suggest that sometimes we all are guilty of doing the same thing. And it may look differently for you. I don't know how you're feeling about it, but maybe it's, hey, God loves you. Well, yeah, I know God loves me, but what does that matter if I can't find my soulmate? Hey, God forgives you. Well, yeah, I know God's gracious, but I can't forgive myself. Well, hey, is your grace better than God's grace? Or is God's grace better than your grace? Is he the judge that needs to forgive you, or are you? Oh, I believe it, but do you believe it now? Hey, God has a plan for your life. Well, yeah, but what is, I know God has a plan for my life, but what does that matter if I'm stuck in this situation right now? And I can't see the way out of it. Do you now believe? Hey, God has forgiven you of everything. Well, yeah, yeah, but I can't seem to forgive that person who hurt me. In a million ways, we say yes with our minds to the gospel, but no with our hearts and our attitudes to the gospel. And my, my prayer today is that wherever that is, I, I don't want to put everyone in, in, in a box, but wherever that might be in your life, where you're not taking heart, might I suggest to maybe look at that as an area where you might not be believing this gospel truth that you can take heart, that it actually applies there where the rubber meets the road. Maybe you're not receiving the fact that you're a child loved infinitely by the Father. Maybe you're acting like the tomb isn't empty and that Jesus didn't win. How often I've been there myself I believe that Jesus overcame. But what does that have to do with this situation on Monday morning? Everything. It has everything to do with that situation. And wherever it might be, the rubber might be hitting the road in your life, the gospel has everything to do with that. If it doesn't, then we can't take heart and I need to shut up and leave. But we can take heart. That's why Jesus said, take heart. (laughs) I have overcome the world. And here's the thing. Jesus also shows us this. He's not surprised that our faith is imperfect and that our faith falters. They said, yeah, now we believe. You came from God. Do you now believe? In effect, he's saying, do you really believe? Because I know you're all, you're all going to leave me. Well, they didn't have a watch, but. <laughs> the hour has come. You're all going to leave me alone. Jesus knows our faith will be imperfect. He knows we can't 
do it on our own. He knows sometimes we'll be overconfident and we'll say, well, yeah, I believe, but this thing's bigger. And he knows that other times, not just overconfident, we'll be leaving him all alone. We'll be choosing something else. But we can take heart today because, finally, because his victory is ours. The victory doesn't rest on our shoulders. No, it's us saying yes to his victory. It's not saying, I'm going to overcome the world and then rejoice with you, Jesus. It's, you have overcome the world. I'm going to believe that and rejoice with you, Jesus. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In that scenario earlier, if you were a Super Bowl player, a Super Bowl team, and all your coaches left, that would bring you some emotions. But maybe an, another thing to think about is, what if somehow you knew, and it was not based on cheating or deflate gate or anything, <laughs> what if somehow you knew that no matter how that Super Bowl went, you were going to win? You knew that at the end, you would be holding the trophy and feeling the confetti fall back. You knew that you would be victorious. Would that change the way you played the game? Would that change the way? Would you give it your all? <laughs> would that change the way you dealt with the times when you're down by two touchdowns? Would it change your confidence? Hey, I don't know how it's going to, but I know that we're going to win. So let me play with all my heart <laughs> because the victory is in sight and it's worth it. The Christian life is one of a victory that we haven't earned, but we get to experience it. And when we're weak, he is strong. And we know that he has overcome the world. And in the end, he will overcome the world in fullness and make all things new and make all things right. And so that question today, I don't know where it may be hitting you. I don't know what you're going through. I, but I know that a lot of people are going through something. I know if you're anything like me, you'll have several points at the week where life feels overwhelming. And the question that rings out to me from this passage is, is Jesus' words to you. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Not a sarcasm, not a, not a condescending, but no, do you believe now? Do you believe for this thing that you're facing? Not just the facts of the gospel, but do you believe it where it feels like you need it most right now? Where it feels like it doesn't connect, do you believe that it connects? Do you believe now? Let's pray, and I'll give some instructions for us here at the end of the service today. Father, we thank you so much just for the, the simple fact that we can come to you and call you Father. Father. 
God, I pray that we would know that. I know many of us, it's hard to imagine you as father. Maybe we didn't have a dad or a bad dad or even if we had a good dad, good parents, they let us down. But Lord, you're not just a, a big blown up version of our parents or our dads. You are our perfect heavenly father. You are love. The only reason we know love is because you loved us so much enough to create us and to share this creation with us. And so we thank you for that love. God, I pray for every person here under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that they would believe and receive that love that you are extending to them and inviting them into. God, if there's someone here who who has never received you, who has never received Jesus, who has never received your work, God, I pray that you would awaken the seeds of faith in their life. If that's you and you hear me right now, the Bible says that if you confess, if you confess your need for a Savior, that you've sinned against God, and you believe who Jesus is, that he came, he's the son of God who came to die for your sin and rose again on the third day, that you can begin to experience this new life I've been preaching about. God, I pray for each one of us that we would believe that we are your children. God, that we would believe that the tomb is empty, that though you went to the grave, you didn't stay there, that death could not hold you down. And God, I pray that we would believe at all the miniature points in which it seems hard to believe. That we would take heart in all the points where we are right now having trouble. And Lord, that we would uh, trust that you have overcome and that we will become overcomers by doing that. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Holy Spirit, work in these next few minutes of our service. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.